0: studio p in sausalito the home of the hit it's time for
1: the
0: number one award-seeking comedy podcast about comedy and here's your host internationally recognized comedy podcast podcaster mark hershaw
2: Yes, it's me again, Mark Hershon, host and executive producer of Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast. Welcome to Epi90 of the show that tracks down clips of comedy podcasts from all over the web and sweeps them into a neat pile every week or so for you to scoop up with your dustpan-like ears and enjoy. If you'd also like to sweep a little bit into your eyes, visit the blog for this show at SuckatashShow.com where you can click right on the title for each show we clip and jump to their home site. We've got a jam-packed show today, a half-dozen podcast clips, two bursts of Durst, a brand-new Henderson's Pants commercial, and the Tweet Sack. But we also have a special guest making his return to the Succotash microphone, Jordan Brady, who was here last time to talk about his documentary called I Am Comic. He now has his follow-up movie out, which he was musing about during the last time we chatted with him, and it's called I Am Road Comic. It's a funny documentary and neat little study of comics and comedy on the
3: road. All modesty aside, I was okay. Like, I, I pulled off the 20, 30 minutes that I was up there. But in the movie, I'm kind of the butt of the joke as far as, uh, like, I'm hacky and I do crowd work and I ask if there's birthdays. Who wants to sing happy birthday? You know, I knew I was playing the fool.
2: I am very excited to have Jordan back on the show, and he was very kind to give me a lot of time in our Skype chat earlier this week. The interview is pretty long, so I'm going to front load the show with the clips and other business, and then we'll spend the rest of the episode with Jordan. Since he last joined us, he's also become a podcaster, and we'll talk about that in our interview as well. So there's a lot of succotash to go. Strap in, and let's get started. Now, when the guys at the Chill Pack Hollywood Hour and I originally began mentioning each other's shows on each other's shows, I kind of thought it would be funny to come off like a bit of a feud, but it's been very friendly with them mentioning us, and then us clipping them mentioning us. Then I made the mistake of not calling Phil Lairness back promptly a couple of weeks ago when I said I would. Oh boy, does this constitute the beginnings of a feud?
4: I love acupuncture. I would. I'm actually going to go
1: learn it so I could just do it on myself. Show back, Holly. Whatever. Brought to you by acupuncture. Acupuncture <laughs> for all the times when your needles don't. You know work. what I love? I what? I love Mark Hirschn's succotash.
5: Succotash.
1: I say that for the obligatory excerpt that will now <laughs> appear on Mark Hirschn's suck attack. If only... That's, of course, the Comedy Podcast podcast. Yes, we love that show. Now, if only I could actually get this guy on the phone to uh, confer with him about a potential uh, pitch <laughs> meeting that we're supposed to have. Uh, but I every love, time... I love that we not just have production meetings on Now here. we're having it with other people because exactly. we know they'll listen.
4: you're just sending out know, podcasts. Of
1: course, this is your Chill Back Hollywood Hour as heard on Stitcher Radio. Stitcher! As uh, heard on iTunes. iTunes. At chillpackhollywood.com. C H I L L P A K Hollywood.com. And, and through our new home. Look at our new home. Blog Talk Radio. They're so nice.
2: I guess not. Still friends, catch Dean Haglund and Phil Lernis in the Chill Pack Hollywood Hour at their home site. That's chillpack, C H I L L P A K Hollywood.com or at Blog Talk Radio. Now, if you hear what sounds like angry crows in the background during part of this podcast, I'm recording this from Studio F, my Fiat, and it's very nice here in Marin County. It's uh, near sundown, though, on a Saturday evening, and uh, these birds like to make a lot of noise. So you will hear that from time to time. My apologies, but uh, I'm safe. It's not a reprise of the Hitchcock thriller, The Birds, going on. Uh, You know, the show is so long this week that I almost didn't want to do the next feature, but I would hate to think we're leaving someone in the lurch without.
0: The 10 most active shows in the Stitcher Top 100 Comedy Podcast List.
2: Here we go then with the latest top 10 most active shows on Stitcher's Top 100 Comedy Podcast List. At number 13, Beats and Eats, up 111 points. Man, they sprang almost up to the top from out of nowhere. At 33, The Cracked Podcast has gone up 21 spaces. At 34, What About Pod, up 33 places. At 35, Burt Cast's Podcast is up 11 spots. At 46, Vent Chat has dropped 10 spaces. At 49, You Made It Weird with Pete Holmes, up 10 places. At 54, Allison Rosen is your new best friend, but she's dropped 14 places. At 58, the champs with Neil Brennan and Moshe Casher up 11 spots. At 95, Michael Yo and Joe Coy's show is up 12 points. And at 97, the Insanity Check has gained 50 points this week to get back up into the top 100. So there it is. Got through it exclusively on Suckatash. It's
0: the 10 most active shows in the Stitcher Top 100 comedy podcast.
2: I cannot wait to open the Conversational Floodgates with our special guest, Jordan Brady, about his documentary, I Am Road Comic, and a whole bunch more. But we have so much else to get to this show. You really get your money's worth, which is... Wait a minute. How much do you pay? Oh, yeah, nothing. Unless you click the Donate button on our Suckatashow.com website, or go to Amazon through our Amazon banner the top of our SuckatashShow.com website, or buy some merchandise from our Suckatashery, then you're helping out. Otherwise, you're paying nothing and, well, you're definitely getting your money's worth. We've got a double dose of Durst for you again this episode. That is, of course, our burst of durst with political comedian and social commentator Will Durst. In this first blast, Durst goes off about the Washington Redskins debacle.
6: Hey, guys. Will Durst here with a few choice words about the Washington Redskins being stripped of six trademark registrations by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, which is usually as controversial as cilantro. Their reasoning was the football team's name was disparaging to Native Americans, and thus in violation of laws banning offensive language. Although to many Americans, it's the locational part of the name that is most repugnant. Conservatives fear this sort of thing could snowball and cause many nicknames to be rethought. For instance, should the Pittsburgh Pirates be compelled to switch their name because it could be considered offensive to families who have been pillaged? What about the Fighting Irish? Do you really think drunken leprechauns with fists cocked are responsible role models for today's university students? The Utah Jazz is an odious appellation to anybody possessing a modicum of musical taste. And the name, Oklahoma, is Choctaw for red people. Should they be forced to repeal their name, or or can we just get rid of the state altogether? What about people? Does the same logic mandate that anybody named Hitler has to change their name so as not to remind victims' relatives of their crimes? Adolf? Manson? What about Bush? And if owner Daniel Snyder does cave to the rising controversy, which direction will he go? Something indicative of the town? The Senators won't work. Baseball tried, and it depressed the players so much the team was forced to move twice. Or a good attempt to capture the true spirit of the town with the Washington Slippery Slopes. Or the Ethical Sliders. If you want intimidating, how about the Washington Filibusterers? Or the Drones? But if honoring the Indian nations of America is, as you say, your actual goal, how about the Washington Treaty Breakers? Ooh, that's scary. For Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast, I'm Will Durst.
2: Now, in case you didn't get enough Durst, there's one more hit coming at the end of the show. In the meantime, find him hanging out on Twitter at Will Durst and at his website, Will Durst, that's W-I-L-L-D-U-R-S-T dot com. All right, clips? Is that what you want? Fine clips it is. Some from me, some from our associate producer Tyson Sainer, and one from a comedy podcaster taking us up on our standing offer to slice off a hunk of their own show and send it in. In fact, let's start off with that one. This clip is from the Geek Generation, which is a show we've featured before, and the main man behind that podcast, Rob Logan. He says, and I quote, we've started playing a game on the Geek Generation called Smash Up, which combines two categories or concepts of things together, creating some hilarious results for things you probably never heard of. Recently, our smash-up category was to combine Godzilla with any other movie, and in this clip, myself and my co-host Mikey read the responses sent in from our super creative fans. Excellent. Love stuff like that.
7: Let's listen. Let's then go into this week's smash-up.
5: smash!
7: Yeah, people love the smash-up. Uh, We've been doing it for a little while now. And last time I asked you to smash up Godzilla and any other movie to create uh, the synopsis and title of a new Godzilla film. That would just be completely ridiculous because Godzilla doesn't belong in it. Essentially, the two examples that I gave before were Elfzilla after inadvertently wreaking havoc on the elf community due to his ungainly size, a giant prehistoric lizard raised as an elf at the North Pole is sent to Japan in search of his true identity, wreaking havoc along the way. <laughs> and Godzilla hunting. Godzilla, a 30-story tall reptile, has a gift for mathematics but needs help from a psychologist to find direction in his life. <laughs> Both ridiculous concepts, and you guys came back with some that were even crazier. The first one came in and I did take the best of the best. So I didn't include everything from everybody. So uh, Chuck writes in Slumdog Godzillionaire, Jamal, an 18 year old orphan from the slums of Mumbai is poised to win millions of rupees on a popular Indian game show when the television studio is overrun with monsters. Jamal phones his friend Godzilla for help and an epic battle ensues. <laughs> I enjoy the idea of uh, phoning up Godzilla. Yeah. <laughs> during a, Who wants to be a millionaire game? So that was a great answer. Uh, and Chuck also added in as a New England raised wrestling, comics, movie, TV fan living in Colorado. I just wanted to say that I really enjoy the podcast. Thanks for cranking it out on such a regular basis. So, yay, ego boost. <laughs> Thanks, Chuck. Uh, Aaron Chuck writes in Godzilla 2 Judgment Day. A Godzilla, identical to the one who failed to kill Sarah Connor, must now protect her teenage son, John, from a more advanced Godzilla made out of liquid metal. I support that because that would be <laughs> liquid metal <laughs> Godzilla is a solid, solid premise. Love it. The last set, and I tried to pick the best from everybody. Uh, these are from Paul O., oh and paulo wrote in i think like four or five ideas and i included pretty much all of them because they're all phenomenal he took it to another level the first one is mighty Morphin godzilla rangers after years of conflict godzilla is tired of fighting for the ungrateful humans who do nothing but sue him for property damage so he subcontracts his atomic powers to five teenagers with attitudes who fight on his behalf oh and since godzilla is short on cash due to pending lawsuits These teenagers share one zord, the broken down frame of Mechagodzilla. (laughs) Solid premise. Love it. The next one is Godzilla, the desolation of Smaug. I think he just wanted me to say Smaug. Smaug. Yeah. (laughs) Godzilla wants to crowdfund his legal fees related to his destruction of San Francisco, but fails when he finds out Kickstarter does not allow funding for giant atomic lizards. So he seeks out Smaug, who owes him for that thing last time and the movie is literally just three hours of godzilla traversing middle earth
4: <laughs> <laughs> that kind of sounds like uh, lord of the rings exactly right <laughs> just walking around everywhere <laughs>
7: a lot of walking uh so solid idea there the next one is the hunger games catching godzilla upset that their efforts to kill katniss and pita have failed repeatedly the organizers of the hunger games task their champions with hunting and capturing godzilla after they inevitably fail Godzilla stomps the shit out of this fake world. <laughs> and the rest of us applaud in celebration. <laughs> Love it. And the last one, and maybe the best one to go: The Fast and the Godzilla. <laughs> Godzilla takes the place of Paul Walker as Brian O'Connor. Too soon? I don't know. I don't think so. Disgraced cop, an international criminal, who finally meets his match in Agent Hobbs, played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson, after a stalemate between The Rock and Godzilla. They decide to team up and hunt down criminals that present risks to our nation, both foreign and domestic. The movie ends with The Rock riding Godzilla into the sunset. Take my money! (laughs) Take all my money! Are you kidding me? A movie with The Rock riding Godzilla? I am so in. (laughs) (laughs) More games, more
2: games, more games. Great stuff, Rob and company. Uh, That's uh, Rob Logan and Mikey from The Geek Generation. Thanks for sending in that clip. Now, if you're a comedy podcaster, feel free to shoot us a three to five minute MP3 clip of your show to clips at suckatashow.com. Find Smash Up and more at TheGeekGeneration.com as well as, of course, iTunes, Stitcher, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah. SoundCloud. Friend of Succotash, Adam Spiegelman, host of the Proudly Resents podcast, recently did a little Succotash shout-out episode.
8: Hey, it's Proudly Resents. Adam Spiegelman here for a special bonus episode. Fantastic. What? I try to keep all the episodes tight under an hour. If I can, close to half hour is ideal. So I had some interviews that went long, so I try to pull out stuff that didn't have to do with that interview, but I still like it, so... Putting it together in a little hodgepodge, a little Succotash shout-out, if you will. Great podcast called Succotash. There's your shout-out.
2: One of the self-contained clips from his own
8: show that Adam features in this episode is part of a conversation with filmmaker Jeremy Sklar. But I want to talk real quick about your new movie. You write a movie about a plane that disappears. Oh, thanks. You get financing, and then a plane disappears in real life.
4: Oh, yeah, that was, that's weird. Yeah, that was creepy. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to get this movie made right now called Air Disturbance that keeps almost happening and not happening, and then it's, hap- you know, the, the the saga of the, whatever, struggling filmmaker guy. But anyway, so this movie is, has supernatural uh, stuff going on inside of a plane that's very mysterious where the whole, the plane crashes, but nobody can find where any of the, the passengers went. And it's kind of a found footagey sort of movie. And the movie was in pre-production and we were just starting to get some financing in when this whole Malaysian airplane thing happened. And it was, it was very freaky. People were like, Oh, you got to post your movie now. You could, you could really capitalize on that. And I just was like, I did. I, I admit, I actually did put the trailer. I made a little kind of demo trailer for it and I put it up, but I actually put it up with like a, you know, I guess I had my cake and eat it too. I put it up with a disclaimer was like, you know, this makes me feel icky <laughs> posting this right now. But I'm in show business, so I'm icky.
8: <laughs> That's the this thing we straddle, being feeling <laughs> icky and being icky. Yeah. Yeah, and doing it anyway. You know, it's fun to play in the dirt, I guess, sometimes. And uh, but the movie
4: isn't financial someone owned it, it's, it's not happening at the moment looking for financing. All right, so, but it has nothing know, to do with Malay with Has nothing to do with the Malaysian. I wouldn't I wouldn't be like I'm sure that's happening. I can guarantee you, we'll see a Malaysian movie by next year. Well, you know, I, it's funny. I interviewed the guy
8: who he made the last movie with uh, Anna Nicole Smith, and and he tried to re- you know he, to get released and everything. And everyone kind of said, "How dare you do this?" You know, trying to make money off of her, but he wasn't. He was just releasing his movie. Oh, and and, uh, and I'm sure there's like you said, a little bit of ickiness that he knew he was doing but he also was he had a movie he was releasing it, she died what was he going to do so but but you but you can make a movie about 911 or you can't i'm trying to find a better example of that you know like sometimes it's okay to put out a movie when the star dies it's not it's just perception <clears throat> oh yeah batman um he ledger dies.
4: yeah i mean there is there's a kind of a yeah when an artist dies what happens to their work i mean when a painter's you know work dies Suddenly then there's, there's all, you, the movie. Know, yeah. you know, yeah.
8: It wasn't like uh, Twilight Zone.
4: Yeah, right. I mean, He didn't get killed hand. on the movie. Yeah, what do you think about it? Like Crow, or what's that movie? The Crow, Crow. right? Yeah, the that was guy. crazy. And then they released the movie with little, you know, stitched together kind of moments. and
8: Because they have to put out the movie.
4: They got to, yeah, there's financial responsibilities. You got to, the show must go on. If you like
2: cult movies, or you just enjoy hearing people trash them, don't miss Adam Spiegelman and his various guests at his home site, ProudlyResents.com, as well as all of the other usual podcasting haunts. Still to come this epi is my talk with special guest Jordan Brady, a new Henderson's Pants commercial, and the Tweet Sack. But before we get there, more clips! Tyson Saner, our associate producer, harvested this next clip from a podcast called Revelstoke Jim's Canadian Content. Now, Tyson couldn't have known this, but I've been aware of Revelstoke Jim since the early aughts. It was around the year 2000 or 2001 that I began to make a series of guest appearances on an early webcast. There was an attempt by some broadcast-oriented companies to live cast shows on the Internet, sort of a combination of a podcast and a video cast, but way before any of this sort of downloading stuff uh, was possible, the show I was on was hosted by science comedian Brian Mallow. His show was part of a rudimentary network of shows, and the one that was on right after his was hosted by none other than Revelstoke Jim. So I was also catching snippets of his show. Here, some decades and some years later, is yet another snippet of Jim, live and direct from Revelstoke, British Columbia.
9: And I thought, I'm going to go out before the show starts, and I'm going to set up some microphones out by the highway. Remote microphones, wireless microphones that I can beam a signal back here to our location, which is the beautiful but slightly warm Log Broadcasting Center at the corner of First and Main in downtown Revelstoke, the coolest little town north of nowhere. I would take these wireless microphones, bring the feed directly live into our broadcast and share them with you, the listening audience, and explain exactly what was going on. Uh, Let's have a listen. Let's see what we, uh, let's see if I, uh, I have some switches here. So let's see. Let's see if we can figure out uh, how crazy the traffic is out there at the moment. So this is live on the Trans-Canada Highway, 9.13 p.m., June 27th. 2014 let's just uh, let's go have a listen oh man that's crazy that's uh, that's unbelievable that is. Uh, the kind of traffic we're getting on a uh, on a holiday weekend. So if you are where you are, stay there. Don't go anywhere. Don't even think of leaving. It's 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 absolutely it's depressing. I'm used to to small town life. Not a lot of people. I don't like it when a lot of people show up. I was in town downtown Revelstoke today. Obviously, my location at the moment. But before I came to work tonight at the broadcast center, I had some errands to run. I had to pick up some groceries, things like that. And there were more people. There were strangers. I did not, people I did not recognize in town. And that just tells me, bing, tourists. People passing through. riffraff. I don't like that. I like to go downtown and recognize everybody. I don't like to see strangers. But that was the situation tonight. Oh, I hope I hope they're not hanging around. I really do. I hope they're not hanging around. But I'd like you to hang around. By the way, I just also wanted to say I am besides being back in Canada, I'm just so happy to be a Canadian. I do not like being an American, on the even on the internet. I I had my night of, uh, I when I worked for Play TV, I used to joke that I was a uh, I was a Canadian, but I, I I I was a cyber American because I was working. Technically, I was in Canada, but I was working through the internet for an American company. I was being paid American dollars, uh, but again, I I quite. Proudly hung on to my Canadianness, as I always do. But just having to step back into those American shoes—and by the way, Miranda's shoes did fit me last night—quite surprising. Tall girl, anyway. Stepping back into those American shoes, even for the night, made me made me just jump up and want to kiss. Sir Johnny McDonald full on the lips when I got back to Canada.
2: Revelstoke Jim beams in live from his hometown in Canada every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on the GabNet. You can find his main page and other links at gabroadcaster.com. We had comedian Fred Stoller on Suckatash back in Epi 15, when we were one of the very first podcasts that he had been a guest on. Since then, Fred's become a favorite guest of a lot of shows, so many, in fact, that I'm quite surprised he hasn't started one of his own because I think he'd be a terrific host. Tyson plucked a recent episode of Comedy and Everything, hosted by comedian Jimmy Dore and Stephanie Zemirano, uh, where they were enjoying the comedy stylings of Fred Stoller.
1: Basically, I, I did stand up in um, uh, Manhattan, hung out mm-hmm. with Gilbert Gottfried, Larry David sometimes. hmm People like that. And I, w- I actually was there. This wasn't in the book, but when Larry said, Hey, let's see how long we could not masturbate, you know, but you have to be honest. But I wasn't included, but I was there when I heard that. So I knew him. And he used to, I don't know what pick on me, but you know, maybe I'm, I'm not one of these guys who knows how to overcompensate and act cool. And he goes, You're never going to get laid. You're doomed. You're a Jew from Brooklyn. I actually went to the same high school, except he's 11 years older than me. Uh huh. Me, Larry David, Donna Pesco. Really? And Rico. Petrocellia Cardi. I get them mixed up. I don't know who that is. Uh, some Rico. And, uh, <laughs> Don, some do you Rico. know who Donna Pesco is? Yes. Yeah, she went there. And um, so he would... Uh, I, my Actually, around here, my friend Steve Scrove, I don't know if you ever met oh, him.
5: Oh, uh, yeah, I did a show with Steve at the UCLA thing. He's with that uh, Citizens... Ralph Nader, yeah. Yeah, that Ralph Nader group. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: Public Citizen. Public Citizen, that's yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, he was having a surprise birthday party, and I was there... And knowing Larry, he came late because he probably didn't want to sing ha- surprise. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I don't want to do that stupid shit. You know, <laughs> I'm assuming, but that's probably what happened. So, this was '94, and everybody was like asking him, "Did you read my spec script?" Around, and uh, I, I said to him, "I don't know if you've tried to pursue the sitcom writing world, but no, I haven't. I, I never liked the idea of spec scripts." that's writing something you know won't get done right but it just shows it an example when i write something i need the fantasy this is going to happen <laughs> yes you know what i mean in order to that's, be able to do it yeah it's yes. like you're doing a spec podcast or <laughs> i don't know the analogy but you know what I'm how talking do you put about? your heart into it when you yes. know no one's ever going to do it you're doing this yes. to try to get work on veronica's closet you know <laughs> this yes. is my larry sanders that won't get done so and i wasn't pursuing that route um I was stupid. Yeah, I, I again. You know, people made money. He was smart. You know, it's funny. The comics I started with that made the most money are just the ones that went that route. And you, you, you mean made...
5: the the, write, the writing producing route? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, the guys, of course.
1: sure. Yeah, they just knew. So basically, well, you, you know, mean like Larry David? No, no, no. He was more, but just guys that weren't the killer headliners, but just knew to write the spec scripts uh-huh. and, and make their way up in the sitcom uh-huh. world. So, and so basically. He said, But that's but does that seem like the opposite? Like,
5: to, to, For me, being a comedian, mm-hmm. and I don't mean to interrupt your. No, no, story, no, please.
1: Because I, I have something to say about this. But
5: for, for me, being a comedian, it was like um, you didn't have to live a life of drudgery. You didn't have to do work you didn't really want to do. Even when you did a gig you didn't want to do, you still got to do your act. Well, And so to me, when I moved out here, when people would say, Do you want to write for sitcoms? And I'm like, No, no, like it never crossed my
1: mind, Fred. Me too, and I don't, you know, and again, like, I think when I started stand-up, even a little bit before the comedy boom, uh, I'm that old, but it, it was just something, you know, it wasn't like now where people... Everyone puts down Harvard writers. I'm not doing that, but they go into it as a profession. <laughs> yes. Like you go and you do the lampoon, yes. then you get on this show. And but it's right. almost like a stockbroker. Yes. Like I never had that mindset. Like I never, you know, there are some guys like Mike Rowe, you know, Mike. Yeah. He fantasized. He loved Rob Petrie, and he he wanted to be the guy sitting at a writer's table. I'm not good at that. You know what I mean? I never had that fan. Like when I wrote on Seinfeld, or any writing job, I thought. That's what you do. You write there, your job, and you get paid. The the writers I was with, a lot of people were always three steps ahead, like they're schmoozing Castle Rock, and they're doing their deal. Ah. They'd be going to lunch with their agents doing three deals ahead. I never, I thought, you know, a writing job, okay, <laughs> you, you, you make, I'm making 2000 a week. That's pretty good, my first job. You know what I uh-huh. mean? So, yeah, I, I never, yeah, it's it's profession-oriented. You know, it's just like, like I said, I remember um, Norm MacDonald told this story that, um He, um, I forgot, one of these Harvard guys, he was writing on Saturday Night Live and he previously wrote on Roseanne. And the guy was going, why would you do that? You write on Roseanne, you get a deal at sitcom. But he was smart. He went from Roseanne to Saturday Night Live knowing he'd score as a personality and get to be on the show. And it was more of his passion. Oh, you mean Norm Macdonald knew he Mm -hmm. Mm wouldn't. Yeah. So someone said, why would you go from Roseanne to Saturday Night Live? You know, people have these progression and everything.
5: Yeah, 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 because the real money's in sitcoms and residuals. Yeah, and
1: also maybe, yeah, creating your own
2: show and that whole world. You know, hearing Fred on there reminds me we should have him back for a visit one of these days. Every week, Jimmy Dore and Steph have interesting and funny guests on comedy and everything else. They also are at the home site, com, where Jimmy has another show, The Jimmy Dore Show, which is really his flagship podcast. He also has an iPhone app, so... If you're on iPhone, be sure to download the iPhone app for The Jimmy Dore Show. Our interview with the maker of I Am Road comic, Jordan Brady, is right around the corner. The corner, by the way, consists of one more clip, an ad from our sponsor, and the Tweets Act segment, so stick around. The world of pop culture-based comedy podcasts is both deep and wide, which means there are a lot of them. Tyson found us one I hadn't heard of before, called Green Up. The hosts are Roy, Philip, and Ryan or as they refer to themselves on their show blog, Three Fatties. I, I think a couple of them are brothers, and their focus seems to be video games, console and PC, as well as TV, movies, and talking about other podcasts. Hmm, wonder if they ever mentioned Succotash. All I know is that in this clip, they're musing about getting a whooping as a kind of celebration of Father's Day.
10: If you talk about respecting your elders. Uh, when I was about, I don't know, 10 or 12 11 12 somewhere along in there we had a rule at the willingham household you know back in the day when the street light came on your butt better be in the house and uh you know we we didn't have internet and all that other stuff, so we played outside all the time. But we knew, buddy, when the when the street light came on, you had to be in the house. So one evening, I was up. The, I was all the way up at the far end of. We lived on a, a block like a, a horseshoe shaped block, and I was about as far from the house as you could get. And uh, we were. It was it was an, an epic play day. We were actually building an airplane, and we had it suspended from a tree limb. And we were, you know, a bit working on this plane. And it was awesome. It was, it was a great project. And I was not paying attention. And uh, all of a sudden, I heard a very distinct voice call my name. I knew it was my dad. And I realized when I looked up and saw that the street light was on at my friend's house that, you know, I was in trouble. So uh, I go over and my dad has walked all the way up the street looking for me. Couldn't find me. You know, I didn't hear him calling me. So uh, we start walking home. And it's a pretty long walk, you know, it's, like I said, it's all the way at the opposite end of the, the horseshoe we lived on. And, uh, so we're walking along and, you know, my dad is pissed and I know he's pissed, but I don't know what got into me. My dad said, you know what time it is? And it was at that moment I, I realized what I should say. I knew what I should say, but I thought, hey, you know, I got a little hair on my peaches now, you know, it's, <laughs> it's time to, you know, test this baby out. So. I thought I'd come up with a real snappy answer, so I said, uh, yeah, I know what time it is. Uh, it's present time, <laughs> you know, speaking of the three tenses there. Uh, and I, I, I thought it was pretty, you know, sharp comeback. I, I remember I even kind of bobbed my head from side to side when I said it, you know. And I don't know why, but I never heard the belt. Normally, I hear the belt buckle. That thing had and, a jingle to it. And normally, I hear that jingle on that belt buckle when I knew I'm in trouble. I never heard it. All I heard was, I'll show you what time it is. <laughs> and my daddy started whooping me. He grabbed me and started beating the living tarnation out of me. And I had the entire block to go <laughs> until I could get home. And so I finally – I. I jerked my arm free and i started running and i at at that moment when i started running i i I thought i've got a chance you know i got a chance because my dad he was about 40 you know smoked two packs a day and uh, he'd been at work all day so i figured i had a chance on him here so i start running but i didn't take into consideration i might be able to outrun my dad but i couldn't outrun the belt. and he was like indiana jones with this thing And he would take that belt, and he would reach out with it and r- wrap it around my throat and jerk me back and then start beating me again. And every time he would jerk me back and start whooping me with that belt again, the neighbors were all out on the front porch cheering. They was like, yeah, whoop his ass, Roy. Beat that ass. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I got up off the ground I put a little shimmy shake on him You know, I did my little dance And I got by him and I took off and I was running And I was crying, I had snot everywhere My butt was just hurting <laughs> And every time I'd get about I'd start kicking a good lead Them cigarettes would start jumping on him He'd reach out and latch on to me with that belt And whoop me some more <laughs> Finally we got down to the cor- the curve of the street And there was a big like cedar tree so I, I, I knew this was my chance. If I was ever going to get away, I had to had to do some moves. So I just started running around the cedar tree because I knew if I would get him tired, <laughs> I was on free, you know. And finally, he started getting tired, and when he did, he didn't see me. I slipped over and ducked behind my neighbor's car, and I could see him. He was looking in the cedar tree, and I was about to start creeping off, and my neighbor's yelled, He's behind the car, Roy! Get him! So oh I had to start running again, and uh, he caught me. I was about 150 yards from the house, and uh, he lashed on to me with the belt again. And as I was going down, I seen my mama was on the porch, and she had her hands up on her face, you know. So I knew, you know, there's my salvation. If I could just get to my mama, I'm all right. My daddy's beating the, he's beating the hell out of me. <laughs> and I finally, I, I wiggled free, crawled through his legs, and did a dish to the left and a dish to the right, and then I spun back left. It was it was a beautiful move. <laughs> and I broke free, and I heard the whistle of the belt buckle as he was trying to grab a hold of me again. It went right by my ear. And I was like, whew. I'm running. I'm tearing down the street. And my mama's standing on the porch, and I ran up on the front porch, and she had her arms wide open. And I just hugged in on my mama, and she hugged down on me, and I was crying. My leaves <laughs> me and my mom said, "I got him, Roy. Come
0: get him. Come his
10: ass." my If
2: you want to, you can green up yourself over at their home site, tbpstudios.net, as well as all of the other usual spots where podcasts are served. And now, if the summer's been blazing hot where you are this year, you are going to want to listen up to the newest offering from the good folks at Henderson's Pants.
0: Holy Hannah, it is hot out there this summer, friends. Bill Haywatt here with welcome relief from Henderson's Pants so that you can beat the heat in style. I'm talking about their new camo cutoffs, the ragged edge shorts with a touch of desert machismo that's guaranteed to let a little cooling breeze in to where the sun don't shine. These aren't merely cheapo patterned knockoffs we're talking about. Every pair of Henderson's camo cutoffs is repurposed from genuine U.S. Army issue desert camouflage military big boy pants. From a shipment that fell off the truck on their way to the Middle East. So some of our boys being out of uniform has turned into your good fortune. Once Henderson's Pants got their mitts on these pants, they called in some paramilitary advisors, gave the entire shipment a thorough Blackwater rinse, and started sniffing away. Henderson's has donated all of those cut-off pants legs to the Sleeves for the Homeless Foundation so that you, you lucky duck, <laughs> can snap up Henderson's camo cut-offs for a veritable song. Originally designed for the French Foreign Legion, Steam Fitters Union Local 23, and Staff Sergeant Daisy Duke's, Henderson's camo cutoffs can be found hanging on cyclone fences around military bases, anywhere U.S. servicemen are bivouacked. <laughs> With an emphasis on the whacked. That's Henderson's, maker of shorty McShort shots since 1993. And now, despite all efforts to the contrary, we return you to Suckatash.
2: I just heard from Bill Haywat, incidentally, and he promises that he's got a wallop of a new drink that he wants to introduce to the Suckatash audience, which means we will be doing, at long last, another installment of Boozin' with Bill, and I hope it happens soon. All right, let's do a quick dive into the Tweet Sack, and then hustle into our interview with Jordan Brady. After tweeting back and forth with British comedian Nick Revel, who is also one of the creators of the very funny panel podcast, No Pressure to be Funny, over in England, we were able to Skype it out just a couple of days ago for about a half an hour. You will hear that interview in our very next episode. I wanted to give a special mention to the WFOD, that's the Wheelbarrow Full of Dicks podcast. They had responded on Twitter to a tweet we put out saying that if you mention Suckatash in your tweet, we'll be happy to retweet and mention your show. Now, they retweet our stuff a lot, but sometimes tweets slip under our radar. And by our, I mean my, because I'm really the only one reading these things. And I guess I missed mentioning them recently, particularly in our rundown that we have every show in the tweet sack. So WFOD, thanks so much for mentioning us in your tweets, and I'm sure, remembering us in your prayers. Godspeed. Speaking of the list of folks who have tweeted... Retweeted, mentioned, DM'd, followed, or even liked us on Facebook this past week or so, here it is. The Thrilling Adventure Hour, Brit and American, Guru, Amish Baby Machine, DAPF Pod Neil, Rob, Kenny Eichenberg, Odd G Productions, Stefan X Jones, Aaron O'Connor, The Hojer, Ron Thornton, Viral Media Boost, Caleb Bacon, Adder Radio. Combat Radio Peaches and Hot Sauce Andy Harlan Comedy Producer Travis Reddit Comedy Diff Spec Podcast Horror John Dredge Travis Knight Comedy Ben from Underhogs Brian Mallow Dave Nelson Jeffrey Welchman and his better half Betty Welchman The Comedy Club The Foon Cast, Jordan Brady The same Jordan Brady we're about to talk to Hi Jordan Bridget Ryan Illusionoid, What a Pair of Trousers, Corey Epps, Hashtag Love Khalifa, our guest from last episode, Hob the Troll, Hi Hob, Carol Montgomery, Al Capone, Chavo, The Do-Over, Good Podcasts, Hal Lublin, The Angry Chimp, Reg Upper Tax Bracket, How Is This Movie, Willie Buckshot, The Huh Show, Patrick O, Attaboy Clarence, Schmuckman, Fizz Button Radio Tancast Herpes Hey, we heard from Herpes Conrad and Jack Show Salty Language Pod Thomas Gunn Screams and Moans uh, That's Screams and Moans Distracted Gamer Rufus and Howard from the Man by, pa- Man by Cow Podcast Chris Rowley Chasing Greedo Tavamo Jennifer Kovar McClure Kazza Dr. Norman Trousers Stephen Pearl Kelly V. Dolan Thomas Green, Jason Bice, Showbiz Adjacent, Mike Dennison, Eric Rosenthal, King Terry, Anthony DeMauro, Bon S. Anthony Thomas, Improv Nerd, State of Gray, Wrong Foot Podcast, Laura Sainer, Toilet Humor, Kathleen Cavari, Godtrilla, Richie Lefevre, and Fadil. <laughs> wow, that is a big list. Thank you for your mentions in whatever form they happen to take. Whew. All right, it's Jordan Brady time. I'm going to kick this off with a little audio montage from just some of the comedians interviewed in an I Am Road comic, and then we will jump right into my conversation with Jordan. See you on the other side with our second Burst of Durst this episode before we get out of here.
11: I'm a huge, huge believer in you have to be careful on how you use the road. If you're a newer comedian and you've been doing it three years, two, three, four years or whatever, I don't think you should be doing the road too much. I'm a firm believer that you'd be much better off living in whatever, Seattle, get a job at a coffee shop and go up three, four times a week at open mics. That would be better with peers that will help you navigate your act and keep it in a good place because you're a product of your environment. Huge. If you learn how to fucking destroy at some road shack, God love you, chops are huge. We have to be able to deliver. We have to be professionals. We have to know how to deal with rowdy crowds, bad crowds, tired crowds, that's part of our skill set.
10: If someone says that you're like a roadie, or you're too road, that's like an insult sometimes.
11: One of the worst things you can say is if, if we're in the back of the room and we're watching somebody and they're like, got a little bit of road on them. The sheen is off that, you know, that maybe the audience can't tell, but as a comic, you go, oh, you've been on the road too long. You have the stench of the road on you. Friends of ours, (laughs) he's he's got, he's he's touring too much. Look, the the, the issue is, do you become the road? The big problem with the road versus the city was, you know, do you sort of, it's a rare comic that can maintain their point of view uh, with years on the road. Because the expectation is by the club owner and by the audience is to do something that those crowds will like. So, depending on how strong-willed you are or or how defined you see your point of view, it's very easy just to be accommodating and efficient as opposed to uh, unique and and, uh, original. And, you know, that's the big trick.
2: But you, of course, are a podcaster now as well.
3: I'm a, I'm a, I'm a highly focused niche podcaster. We're, we're all highly focused niche podcasters.
2: <laughs> I'm speaking with Jordan Brady, by the way, just uh, so we get the intro out of the way. Revisiting us here at Succotash, the comedy podcast podcast. So welcome back. And, and since we've talked, several things of note have happened. Uh, you have become a
3: podcaster. I've become a podcaster. It's called Respect the Process. A short chat about commercial filmmaking. So it's not just filmmaking. It, we don't talk about movies a lot, occasionally, right? Yeah. But it's it's about making adverti- filmed advertising okay. for tele- television and web. So I have you know commercial directors, copywriters, art directors, CEOs of ad agencies, and then rank and file crew explaining what they do: the sound guy, the gaffer. You okay. know, every, everybody always confuses the gaffer with the best boy. So a lot of uh, a lot of filmmaker listeners.
2: And how are you enjoying your podcasting experience?
3: I actually really love it. I mean, I, I've taken little bits of style from the best of you.
2: Some of me? You've taken some of me? Is that what you're? Yes,
3: thinking? yeah, yeah. You know, you the way you intro the show, the way you set up, you make the guest feel comfortable. You, uh, you know, the the curating the other clips. I find. I mean, I don't do it. I put up uh, like a a commercial or a spot that someone's done sure so i have a i have a real appreciation for the work that goes into a podcast producing it i'm by myself in my underwear and uh, i per, i pretend to. <laughs> i i bought a woman's i bought a woman's intro you know a woman did an intro like this british woman <laughs> helen so i pretend that she's in the studio with me
2: well that's great i mean that's that's no. really what i do now you know uh... my my producer joe polino uh, who runs uh, Studio P in Sausalito, he um, he has become incredibly busy with his own work. And although he ostensibly is still my producer, he's given me all the bits and pieces I need. And I generally put the show together myself. We have Bill Haywater, our announcer, who uh, I write him copy and he cuts it for me. And then occasionally, we haven't even done this in months, we do a uh, Boozin' with Bill segment in where we actually go into the studio and he uh, mixes up some hideous libation from his <laughs> radio past but uh by and large it's it's me myself and i in in your underwear which is weird i don't know why how i got your underwear but uh, i'd
3: love to have the underwear back if i could
2: i'll i'll do what i can as soon as we finish up here <clears throat> um,
3: yeah it's um it's a it's a fun expression and uh as my my oldest son jake was saying he goes oh you do it every week like you made a promise to yourself that you would do it so I try to drop it on Thursdays because it's convenient for me, and uh, I got sucked into the stats and seeing if people were listening, and like I said, it's so niche that when you get feedback, it feels so good.
2: Gosh, I wonder what that would be like, getting, <laughs> getting feedback. That would be fantastic. Uh, I do hear from my listeners, of course, uh, mostly through Twitter. I mean, they don't really send emails very often, but I have a, a lively chitter, uh, chitter, that's a that's a yeah. that's. A I think you cross. just coined a new phrase. I did. It's a cross between Twitter and chatting. It's
3: chitter. It's it's Twitter Twitter chat. It's
2: <laughs> so I chitter with my listeners on a regular basis, which is fantastic. Um I just uh, I don't know if you know Adam Spiegelman. He's a TV producer. He's got a he's got a podcast called Proudly Resents. And in fact, I think in this very episode that we're <laughs> speaking at, he talks about movies that are really horrible. You know, cult movies. But uh, he actually just uh, cut kind of a. Uh, uh, an episode where he had a bunch of leftover bits and pieces of interviews, So he called it his Succotash his tribute episode just just because well, that's it, funny. it's a bunch of his own clips all put together, which
10: is funny.
3: Well, uh, it, I mean, succ- Succotash, growing up uh, both in the Midwest and in the South, Succotash is a staple sure. of, a, of a good home-cooked meal. So even the word Succotash gives me a warm, you know, it's, I associated with comfort food.
2: Well, that's good because we like to think of it as comfort listening, which is fantastic. Um, but Jordan, it's great to have you back on the show. We we've been chittering uh, over the course of months since the last time you were on the show. That's true. Uh, when your your movie I Am Comic first came out, and we've we've chittered back and forth, um, and so uh, it's it's with great pleasure that uh, I saw your new movie, which you actually talked about. I don't know if you remember, but when we talked, you were actually. Musing with the idea of putting together, I am Road Comic,
3: and uh, it, it was it was in my mind. Mo- it was in my mind uh, after the the cult success, and I say that with humility, grace, and modesty. I know when when you say your own film had cult success, <laughs> but but I do meet comedians that are like, I love your movie, and and uh, it, it just it warms my heart. It really does. Uh, <clears throat> after that, I start toying with, well, what should I do next? Like. I wanted to do one about. I think I talked about it on the show. I wanted to do the African American comedian experience. Yes, we, right? Yep. And then I realized that would be hard for hard. I'm 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 from Ohio. I'm pretty white. It would be hard for me to pull off.
2: (laughs) But you did talk. You did talk about the you know this road comic idea. You talked about booking yourself up in the northwest somewhere and you know having somebody else go with you and you know getting and sure enough that's really sort of the core essence of i am road comic is uh you doing it getting back in there and doing it putting yourself in i would consider the comedy catbird seat the middle act
3: correct the rocking chair for you CBers out there you uh, uh what, what what was the cb talk like you would you'd have the papa bear you'd have the f- guy up front looking for the smokies for the cops <laughs> that's right that's And right. then you'd be in the rocking chair in that middle where you'd just coast you didn't have to worry about getting a speeding ticket <laughs> exactly so uh
2: you we'll get more into the movie but um yep. it was uh it was it was fun for me to watch you know this thing that you were just kind of spitballing as we were talking Uh, having come to life, and then you've surrounded it, of course, with uh, um, a number of interviews with people that have worked the road for for many, many years. Before we kind of get into the movie, let's just sort of kind of catch up on what else you've been up to, because uh, you are um, probably foremost uh, a commercial director and producer, really.
3: Correct. Uh, I don't produce, I mean, I have a a production company, so I'm by default a producer, but I'm not a Roll up my sleeves, producer. I have the utmost admiration for the men and women that actually figure the shit out. I mean, it, it it really blows my mind. And I go, can we afford that? How do we have that? How do we have a crane both days? And they figure they figure it out. How are all these people here? How do we have such good lunch? Uh, I am a commercial filmmaker by trade. That is how I pay the bills, and uh, it's why I'm fortunate. I don't have to do a Kickstarter or you know IndieGoGo for the film. I just plop down a credit card i had the good graces uh the good the goodwill will of the comedians that i guess we'll talk about later yeah but um <clears throat> yeah commercial directing is like mounting an army of love because <laughs> there's no patent place like stories on the set you don't get into these little clicks that you do on a longer form thing like if you're on a series or a long movie and i've done that i failed miserably at narrative feature films i you know indie films were okay but it's just so hard but a commercial you you know you shoot for one or two days and then you disband and next time you see each other oh wasn't it great there's just no time for baloney
2: <laughs> so what, what's what's the longest <laughs> amount of time you've spent putting a commercial together
3: so starting July 4th you will have seen or you will see these dodge commercials and they were they're pretty epic in scope and scale and it was, a, it was a couple days of shooting that took me a month to put together.
2: Okay.
3: And, you know, it's so weird, Mark, because everybody applauds at rap. Like, woo, we're done. Yeah, we did it. High fives. Great shoot. And I'm like, okay, I'm unemployed. <laughs> I, you all are happy. I, I need to get a job. The crew usually has like three or four gigs lined up. The director goes, you know, job, put it together, treat you write a treatment, you do conference calls with the ad agency. It's a, by the way, it's a very collaborative art form. Hmm. I mean, the 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 men and women at the ad agency, the creatives, you know, the copywriter, the art director, you know this. Sure. I mean, they're they're so creative and inventive. And a guy on on my podcast, another director, was saying we're like the we're like the surrogate parent. Hmm. You know, we take it. It's been it's been birthed. We take it for a while. We raise it to a teenager. Then here you go. You can put it on air. So that it's kind of easy. It's again, it's like the catbird seat.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of a cool position to be in. I I I remember in the you know I I wrote these uh, several Hallmark movies and I was fortunate enough to be invited to be on the set for the entire production, and it was with uh, this sort of sense of loss as the the uh, wrap for the film was coming because all the crew people when they weren't working they were on their cell phones lining up their next gigs and it was like, Hey, wait, aren't we still having fun? Hold on a second. You've got, we we're all buddies just a couple of days ago. And now you're all talking about going away.
3: You know, it, that's, that's so funny because, uh, usually around, you know, after lunch, there's that lull as digestion sets in.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: So uh, I can feel it. And my regular crew know that I'll announce usually around two thirty-eight PM. Okay, everybody, let's take four minutes. And everybody get their phone out and text and find your next job. <laughs> it usually gets a laugh. And I go, no, seriously, get your next job. Check, check your phone.
1: Oh, that's funny.
3: And, and the ones that know that that's coming, then they respect the process that, you, you know, you're not texting during the day the whole time.
2: Yeah, yeah, but, exactly. which, <clears> which really <throat> has to, I mean, you have to have seen that change drastically over the last 10 or 15 years, you know, before it was people trying to, you know, jostle to get time on a pay phone somewhere. Right. right to try and call, and now they they become very lazy because it's right in their pocket. At the same time, they're always on the damn thing.
3: Oh, I'm so old. I remember when people would shimmy up the pole to get Mabel, br five four eight. Connect me to the next motion picture. Hello, ma. <laughs> Is it a talkie? Let's bring the sound man.
2: <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, you know, so all you know all this commercial. Uh, directing that you do how does it translate for you then to step into the shoes of a documentarian
3: you know mark i gotta say that you're you're beholden as a commercial director to not just the uh the copywriter and the creative director and the art director who birthed the script and you want to add your flavor to it right but you know they they've made the you're just throwing logs on their comedy fire. Hmm. If you do comedy, in my case, yeah. So you you have to answer to them, and you want to include them, and you you know, usually I'm I'm actually in the minority of commercial directors in that I actually I go to the edit. Sometimes I edit the first cut, or I work with the editor closely and kind of shepherd the thing through post. A lot of commercial directors. You know wash their hands of the project as they're having uh, cocktails at the <laughs> hotel bar because the the ad agency doesn't need you in the edit that's right. another that's another layer of creativity that the editor and the agency go and do without you yeah, often yeah. often so to answer your question this documentary and by the way I have to say this when you buy I am Road comic at I am Road for five dollars and yes. enjoy the film you'll notice it's not the prettiest film it's not like I shot it with a camcorder and I did it myself and I'm trying to interview people and I'm checking the focus and I forget that I had the facial recognition on, it's out of focus, and Alonzo Bowden leans forward, then he's out of focus for a great clip. But it all it all will answer your question in that creatively, I didn't give a shit. Right. Like creatively, I don't care how it looks. I don't I don't care. I mean, the soundbite was so good, the comedians doing the interviews were so funny and honest that it doesn't really matter that it was a camcorder, but then you see, like you'll see the dodge spots and it's beautiful film. And I have the best cinematographers lighting, you know the cars, and we take all day to light a car, and it's beautiful. So the the freedom, the shackles were off, right? When you can just go around and do do the thing, and uh, and just and then in the edit, you're editing. I mean, it's a short movie. It's like sixty eight minutes, I think. Yeah. And hopefully, it feels less. Hopefully, it flies by pretty quickly. Um, you yeah, know, there's no there. The thirty second, sorry, the, the interrupt. The thirty second edit, which is really twenty three seconds, and then a long dealer spiel, right? Or you know, and then three seconds of the pancake at the end. Like to, to shoot for two days to make a couple of twenty three second ads is is a different discipline and a different skill set than going out and gathering a bunch of interviews and trying to make a story. It's like. You know, trying to make a quilt. Yes. So it's it's totally different. Uh, and with the interviews, you know, you're directing, but you're not saying, "Okay, okay, Pete Holmes, could you say that again?" But this time, have a little have a little mischief in your eye uh-huh. as you as you tell me about the comedy condo. Um,
2: but in, in terms of similarities, though, in, in both cases, you are in essence capturing a story, right? I mean, even a thirty second ad is a story of sorts. Right.
3: Well, oh, the similarities, the similarities, Mark, are incredible. Here's the the main thing that I would say as as a filmmaker is the cut the cut to the joke. Like in the movie, you, you saw it, right? So mm-hmm. there's Wayne Fetterman's a comedian, and he jumps in the Columbia River. Yes. <laughs> and and the other comedian, this guy Seth Milstein from uh, Eugene, Oregon, like you know, a, kind of a newbie,
2: very newbie. Yeah.
3: We had him with the, We had him with the shepherd's hook. From the hotel pool in case my good friend Wayne Fetterman was swept down the, uh, the highly toxic and swift Columbia River. So if you were telling the story and playing it out, and in the, like in an initial cut, and stop me if this is boring. Because no, I, can, no, no. I can jump right at the end. I'm like, okay, Seth, go get the shepherd's hook. And then we show Seth with the shepherd's hook. You know what I'm talking about, yeah. people. Think of the swimming pool. with the You can pull people out of the water. And and it was funny that you saw this kid waiting for Wayne to jump in with the shepherd's hook.
5: <laughs>
3: but then as you edit and whittle away, you realize it's funnier if he's in the river and he's being swept. You know, he's trying to swim against the current. He's not moving. He can't get out. And then when you cut over and you see the kid with the shepherd's hook, it's funny. Yeah. Like it, or it's funnier because... you. You're adding another element to the story. You're adding another layer onto it.
2: Yes, and that that all happens in editing because you're putting, you know, you've got all those elements sort of floating around, right? I mean, and then, like you said, as you're sort of shaving and whittling away, you figure out where the bits and pieces come together to make the most the the most humorous impact.
3: Correct. And when do you dole that? When do you play the card of the shepherd's hook? Yeah. Like you know, and there's other examples. I mean, you know. It, it traditional movie making you know you set up a couple of comedy seeds and then you pay them off later hopefully and a commercial a, like every every shot matters like there there is no filling <laughs> stretching for time or like <laughs> every frame has to be toiled over because the the time is so precious so in that way they're 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 very similar yeah and then for me it it was also uh creating a mood you know i think a director creates a mood on set for the actors to give their best performance i try to cast a lot of stand-ups whenever i can Uh, i think we talked about it last time i was on the show matt weinhold years ago i put in a kia commercial he was awesome a couple commercials actually uh and then you know on the documentary you want to create a loose feeling to get the most candid response from people
2: yeah and uh you have a a number of familiar faces in, uh, I am road comic. Um, and, uh, I think people will be uh, delighted to see uh, a number of them and probably some people will not know who some of these people are. Um, but a lot of them are very well known. Um, you know, like TJ Miller and Pete Holmes, who you mentioned before, Mark Marin is uh, in uh, quite a bit. Uh, you've got uh, Doug Benson and, uh, gosh, the list just kind of goes on and on. And, um, what uh, what was your process in terms of which of these comics you you wanted to go after and I mean was it just sort of casually calling them up was it running into them how, how did you you come by this list of of people
3: well i I'm critical that the first movie I am comic available on iTunes is is a lot of old white guys hmm. so I purposely set out i mean i don't know if I can I don't know if I can uh bridge the the color barrier because I don't know as many minority comedians. I don't even say minority anymore, but I don't know as many comedians of different uh ethnic backgrounds right. as I do white guys because I'm an old white guy. But I knew some of the young white guys because they had seen the movie. So like Pete Holmes, I I met and he said, "Oh, I liked uh I liked your movie." And I said, "Oh, I want you to do this other one." Now Mark Marin is interesting because I had run into him as I was editing I Am Comic and but I was done but I wanted to put him on the DVD bonus because like it was just too late to fold him in and I uh, you know once the sh- once you get to a certain place in the edit even though it's digital and you can like drop stuff in it's still really hard you've crafted a story and then to like throw another person in so right. I I, I kind of screwed up on having on not squeezing him into I Am Comic so for sure I wanted to have him in I Am Road comic. And by this time, he had blown up. Yes. I mean, he, you know, the show was starting and the podcast, his podcast, I mean, just, he's got a hundred million downloads. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I, I can't even fathom that many downloads. It's like if you took all the downloads and stacked them up a hundred million, that's how many downloads you would have.
2: Yeah. No, it's, uh, <laughs> he's been very, very successful. And it, I mean, it, it really reignited his career. And now he's got the TV show. And, uh, so yeah. And so you were fortunate enough. You would already captured this, right? Following the, no, la-
3: the, no the thing, I, the thing I did with him for, I am uh, comic. I didn't even use.
2: Oh, okay. So, yeah, you went, so, so you went they're
3: all to new them, people. Yeah. yeah. They're all, and I wanted all new people. Nikki Glaser being the exception because I felt like I kind of discovered her at this comedy condo. She was the middle act and now right. she had a big MTV show. So I thought, Oh, that's cool. And Doug Benson I had been trying to get for the first one. I couldn't get him. And Doug Benson, he was so cool. He did a special podcast of Doug Loves Movies the other night. with That yeah. yeah, was we, great. Yeah, I heard He showed heard the that. movie. I mean, just that I feel so grateful to know these guys. Some of them, like Doug, for years. I mean, Mark Maron for umpteen years. We didn't hang out in the same circles, obviously. But just to know all, all these guys and see people. Well, I mean, what I love about... The podcast that everyone's doing, what I, what you're doing, and why I make uh, just a low indie film with a camcorder is to take charge. You know, you read about the tools are so accessible. Okay, so you got a YouTube, some 14-year-old telling you how to edit or do a Photoshop trick. But you can do it. And I just love people that are doing shit for themselves.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I, had, uh, when I was listening to people here, you you had all the old white guys up at top. so. I uh, just mentioned right, a couple right. of, you, you'd mentioned Alonzo <laughs> Bowden, but you also got uh, Maria Bamford and Jen Kirkman and W. Kamal Bell, uh, people like that. So yeah, you're definitely, you know, showing a bit more of a, a range in this movie than you did with the last one, um, which was interesting for me. It was interesting because I, I know that you were kind of putting yourself in a sense at the core of this movie. It was you getting back out on the road after a, a long time of not having really done stand
3: 20 20 years
2: uh let alone you know touring stand up right i mean certainly <laughs> in la certainly in la you can get out to a club and do some time if you wanted to but uh, to get out to get yourself booked and get out there that's it's a whole different discipline and group of muscles and stuff um and i imagine the hardest part for you was how do you show yourself in this situation. Like you said, you didn't have a camera guy. You didn't have a crew. It was you and a camcorder, basically. So uh, it was an interesting dichotomy that, you know, you're sort of telling the story about getting out there at the same time. You're seen on screen less than any other comic that you're featuring.
3: Well, the movie really, I mean, it isn't like my big return to Mm stand-up. Like it's it's kind of a goof that I did it. And you're right. I've gone up. People at the different clubs have been very generous and said, "Hey, do you want to do a set?" There's one club that I think in Flappers in Burbank. Yeah, they don't know I ever quit. That's what's so funny. (laughs) Like I get, you know, they the small room on the side. They offer me sets every other month, and I go there. I kill. I took my son with me once. We had just such a blast, and I can, you know, I can pull off the eight minutes. So. So it was funny, and it was a reason to go on the road, but it isn't like my comeback story. No, no. And, and, and it, uh, all modesty aside, I was okay. Like, I, I pulled off the 20, 30 minutes that I was up there, but in the movie, I'm kind of the butt of the joke as far as, uh, like, I'm hacky, and I do crowd work, and I ask if there's birthdays. Who wants to sing happy birthday? You know, I knew I was playing the fool and, and wanted to buoy the story... Mm-hmm buoy buoy the story Bowie the story oh, sure. buoy the, yeah. the story with the the interviews of the the professionals the and what, djs and the mark marons and everybody
2: what was interesting also for for me watching this having been a club manager before and uh working with locals was the story that comes out as you know you and wayne and i'm sorry what is the the young seth
3: thing? young Seth Milstein
2: Seth, who's not that young by the way, um, but uh, Seth is this opener, and you hear all these stories these of these you know comics that have worked the road and there's a there's a bit of uh, of sort of um, warmth for having you know this gone through the trial by fire that all these comics have done, but at the same time it's like many of them that don't have to work the road, clearly they're happy they don't have to, and some of them enjoy it. But to watch the joy in Seth's face as the weekend that you focus on sort of unspools is fantastic. Because here's a guy who's never been on the road before, right? He's from Eugene, Oregon. Right. 16-hour bus ride. But he's he's still not that far from home, but he's on the road for the first time. And I think he'd been performing like three years or something like that at this point. Yeah. But all locally.
3: well, it's, it's funny. I, when I realized I can't do 45 minutes, like it, they wanted a, two, a comedian, hypnotist, producer, director, Don Barnhart. Sure. He's the one who booked me. Okay. He goes, ah, come on, you can do it. And I go, how long? He goes, ah, eh, two-man show. You do 45, another guy does 45. Do 35 each and fuck around together. On stage, do improv. I'm like, I, I can't do it. Yeah. So I, I tweeted a, a request, and Seth was a guy who answered the tweet, and he had a youtube clip and he's he's a passionate man about stand up comedy and he had jokes he had solid jokes he'd been working on yeah. i mean he was he was disciplined as a comedian he's he was a fun guy he, i shared a room with him i let him stay in, the, wow. in my room wow okay wow you,
2: he, you you went hardcore
3: yeah well i mean that was part of the fun i that's why you see a lot in the bedroom he's in he didn't just invite me into his hotel room. That was my room. And as a as a celebrated nudist, I warned him, like, you will you will see my Harry Scrotum at some point.
1: Uh
2: you should really start putting that warning out to the audiences because I don't think they expect that at all. No,
3: it's no, no, it's it's not in that. That was that was like in the in the criterion collection cut.
2: <laughs> but but my point about him was it was It reminded me of you know the local comics in Seattle when I was running the comedy Underground there who would go off and they'd go to San Francisco or they'd go to l a or they'd even go to Idaho or whatever, and they'd come back and it was almost like uh like a tribal rite of passage we yes. have been on the road, we have done
3: this we have survived yes.
2: this, and you we could got s-
3: paid outside of our cocoon to do this.
2: And you could see, I mean, because working the road is hellish. It just, there's no, there's no two ways about it. In many ways it's hellish, but at the beginning stages, when you're first going out, the excitement far overwhelms the hellishness that you're about to endure. Right. I mean, there's so much uh, excitement. And like he said, I feel like I finally arrived. Like I'm finally really a comedian.
3: That was a very sweet moment for me. To, see, to hear him say that. I mean, he was and he was also part of the I mean, there's a folklore to getting along with comics that you don't know, but you have this, you know, brotherhood, the sisterhood, you have a bond with the comedian. I mean, there's more comedians now than ever, but it's still a pretty small amount of people compared to society. Yes. You know, it's a special it's a special thing. So, and and by and I mean Club owners, bookers, promoters, comedians. It's his own world, right, that we're in. So to go on the road and get along and hang out in the day and talk comedy, you know, I think that's what that level of the road that we captured uh, still has. If you're doing theaters and you're bringing an opening act and you see him at the show, that's not really what I call the road. Like Brian Brian Regan is on the road. Yes. But he has a tour bus with his wife and he's (laughs) selling out – Arena, you know, yeah. theater. Jim Gaffigan is doing the road, air quotes, but he's flying in doing a big, a big uh, you know, civic center.
2: Yeah, and it's you know, he's in, if he is in a hotel, he's got this, you know, the penthouse suite and everything else. Um, but it was interesting um, also that the fact that, you know, sometimes if you're going to be going out on the road the first time, you might be paired up with like a real hacky headliner who, you know, just... <laughs> Well, it's just, you know, and, yes. and and what do you learn from that? Well, I suppose you can learn from that, but you don't know what to expect. But here's his first time out. He's with you. Who's, you know, maybe I've been doing comedy for a long time, but you still know comedy. And then to have Wayne Fetterman as the headliner you're working with, who's, you know, not just a, a great comic, but he's a great guy.
3: Yeah, he's, he's a fun guy. He's a weird guy, too. I mean, i <laughs> I've known him. He, he was a hoop holder at my wedding. I mean, I love the man. Uh, I asked him to do it. And in fact, we flew and you'll see in the movie, we actually flew and we changed planes. We had a little plane to get to this small remote town. Originally, we were supposed to do a Wednesday, Thursday gig mm-hmm. that would allow us to drive like we oh, could have okay. done 12 hours up to somewhere in Oregon. And then the next day, drive to do another one-nighter, and then the weekend that we did. Yeah. And, I, and I called a couple of weeks ahead of time. I go, hey, I don't have any information about the gig. He goes, oh, I hadn't heard from you, so I booked someone else. Oh, God. So I had to scramble and buy the plane tickets. Oh, okay. Um, but traveling with Wayne was a lot of fun. And Wayne was the one who imposed the rule that you see in the movie, let's do it old school where we're not going to spend money on food.
2: That was funny too so you've got this running gag which is pretty funny about how you're you know coming by your your sustenance uh, although you did manage to slip the noose at one point and get yourself a, a decent cup of coffee <laughs>
3: oh I had to I had to it's 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 funny because we made waffles at the uh, the hotel free breakfast buffet mm-hmm. and uh, Mark Maron who I know hasn't I don't think he's seen the movie yet.
2: No, but his episode last week was exactly that.
3: He had the, the, I think it's the same waffle iron, the same waffle maker (laughs) at a hotel. And so like, I just loved when I saw that in his episode, because it was funny and it was, he was funny being on the road in that episode, but it just validated like, okay, we, these are the things that comedians do. You eat the waffle, you kind of fill yourself up and load up. Yeah. Right. Load up on carbs at breakfast, steal a little yogurt for lunch. Yeah. then hold out till you get the comedy club dinner. <laughs> exactly. So imagine going out for four or five weeks like that, which I did as a young man. Oh, yeah. No, I uh, do. You remember
2: Jack Marion by any chance?
3: Jack Marion.
2: Jack was a San Francisco comic, uh, was part of the kind of early 70s to late 70s to maybe early 80s scene. And then he just kind of disappeared. And about 10 years later, I was living for a year in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I get this call uh, from Jack Marion, who I haven't seen in 12 years. Oh,
3: yeah, I know who he is. Yeah,
2: and he calls me up and he says, hey, hey Marky, which is what he always called me, he says, "Uh, I'm doing a gig in, um, I think it was somewhere in Colorado. Um, And I said, oh, what have you been up to? He says, well, just working the road. Oh, okay, where are you living? He says, no, I'm just working the road. I mean, he became one of those guys, you know, no apartment, no home, just working the road. And he was calling me not to catch up, but because Santa Fe was on the way to the gig. And could he crash at my place for a night? So he oh, that's could, hilarious. He could shower and get ready for, you know, having to be in front of people again.
3: <laughs> that is funny. There's a guy. Oh, I wish I, his name is Al and he's from Michigan. And a comedian I knew, Jerry from, uh, was it Jerry Elliott? Who's now a DJ in, in Columbus, Ohio, did a documentary on this guy traveling the road. He just followed this guy, Al. Okay. And he and Al is a road dog. I mean, he's got to be in his 60s. Wow. And I thought he was in his 60s when I worked with him. <laughs> so, But still killing, still doing, you know. I think that you make a choice. And by talking to the T.J. Millers and... Pete Holmes and uh, like Kyle Kanane, I don't know if you know him, and, okay. and Maria Bamford, you know, they're doing stand up on the road on their own terms because they want to. Yes. Because they, they want to go out. I mean, they don't kill themselves and they're still trying to sell a unique point of view.
2: Yeah, like, and it's it's a way, I always told comics that were coming up in Seattle, I always said, you gotta get on the road to help start making your act bulletproof, because your act might kill here in Seattle, but you take two steps out of here, and it's gonna die a horrible death.
3: And then you, you what I was trying to find out was, do you even need the road to develop material in 2014? Mm. Because, and, and none of this made it in the film, listeners, if you're buying it for this reason, but I heard from club owners and from comedians, a different point of view on this, but some of the bookers would say, oh, if I could get so-and-so in with her big YouTube bit, uh, it'll pack the house. And then the comedian would be like, you know, I'll kill for 35 minutes, and then she goes up and struggles for 40 minutes and then closes with the YouTube bit, and everybody forgets that she sucked. Wow, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, like, you could make a living (laughs) off of your YouTube bits, and you could skip the whole road as we're talking about it. Yeah. You go go yeah. right to booking yourself as a headliner. And, and and actually, Kyle Kinane talked about getting a few television credits like Conan and things like that, and then being thrown out as a headliner, and he didn't have the material.
2: Yeah, you know, that that became I – mean, he, he was kind of on the tail end of that curve when all the, the big-name comics were getting their TV shows. We may have even talked about this the last time you we were on, and there were all these sort of C-level comics – and you could still get on the Tonight Show, and you could still do a set, and you could still get yourself booked because you'd been on Tonight Show. So you'd get a headliner set, and people would show up to the club and find out they were, you know, watching a forty-five minute act that had the same. The only good part was the seven minutes they'd seen on TV.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's
2: the same phenomenon, except now played out on the internet.
3: Yeah, and and I think my conclusion at the end of it was you still need to go out and test the material, and. The people that you're going to play for when they're when you're on television are actually out in America. Yes, and so if you go to Arkansas, you want to know that your bits that killed in Miami and that did okay in Boise actually, you know, have a little legs when you go to the other towns.
2: Yeah. yeah. Now, did did this experience give you any sort of itch to to want to get back out there?
3: Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's. It's just, you know, the, I travel as it is. You know, we film a lot in Texas or Mexico or, uh, you know, the middle of the country if it's supposed to be, you know, amber waves of grain. And so I get enough, I get enough of my travel fix. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my wife is happy that I get away for a little bit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so is, your ne- is it true that your next documentary is going to be I Am Retired comic?
3: Well, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I, am, I Am Boat comic. there There you go but here's why here's why because it used to be that if you went on a cruise ship as a boat comic that was your that was the graveyard yes and there are some acts and god love them that they're making a living they've basically found the road they're the guy that just that you were mentioning that just did the road yes but it's at sea you don't have to travel you just stay in a great cabin you have good food
2: i know we both know a bunch of them
3: and okay, so there's that still exists, but now there's also a hipper cruise. Mm. You know, they're catering to younger families, and then some of the, there's some promoters that are booking some, you know, young people, young people like you know, twenties to forty year old uh, target audience. Yeah. So that's a different kind of act, and you can be a little edgier. You don't have to be clean all the time. And then there's like uh, I was talking to Doug Benson after the uh, his podcast and. The, the screening the other night, you know, he, he did the Weezer cruise. That's right.
2: Yeah. They had a bunch of comics and they had uh, Weezer and they had, uh, I think some other musicians too. Right.
3: So that would be, Oh uh, yeah, that would be a blast Martin.
2: <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you remember Steve Smith. Oh sure. Cause he's, he's doing exclusively cruise ships and he now books them. I mean, he, he has a cadre of comedians who he books onto other ships.
3: I think he calls it the comedy cadre. <laughs>
2: He may, he may, but
3: <laughs> if he if he doesn't, he should.
2: I, uh, <clears throat> he was at one point talking about wanting to write a book because he was uh, he kept doing that cruise out to Catalina Island for a long time, and he wanted to call it twenty twenty six miles from fame.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. So close, but yet so far away. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, so what you're saying is there's still grist for the I am something comic mill.
3: Yeah, yeah, or. or or creatively, I tell myself, like the, working in advertising, as I have for the last umpteen years, I know that the I am blank comic brand is something that people enjoy. Yeah. yeah. But then as an artiste, Mark, I, I, do, I do ponder the idea I am podiatrist. <laughs> I, th- I think we talked about that last time, like go totally away from comedy but take the same point of view that I've tried to develop as a filmmaker sure, and go find the rock star of foot doctors because <laughs> it's got to be funny, right? Like there's got to be that personality, that alpha male, you know, there's a conference I could go to, you know. That's it's, true. Uh, but
2: the, 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 I think the element that the, that type of movie would lack would be the audience going, hey, I've seen that guy before.
3: True. True. Well, it, well there the, yeah. Yeah. I am podiatry I am podiatrist probably doesn't get on showtime. <laughs> but but it's the same problem with I am open mic comic that everyone <clears throat> pitched me in the world since two thousand ten. Yeah. Why don't you do open mic? Follow open micers. Open mic, that world is so interesting. Well, it's not that interesting. No. Because they're open micers. Yeah, exact, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I am bringer show. No, you're bringing your <laughs> friends to the show. It's actually not that interesting.
2: I am bringer show comic. <laughs> Fantastic.
3: But she, now she be comics would be good.
2: Yeah, she, she be comics.
3: She be comics about the female perspective, which, you know, in, uh, in both these movies, in I am comic. And then I am road comic available. on I am road There is no, uh, talk about gender. Because I because I, I think that is a whole, that's its own topic. And there, women aren't funny. Did you see that documentary?
2: Uh, I re- uh, I remember when it was out. Yeah. Oh, Bonnie um, McFarland, great great movie.
3: You're, she's going to kill me. Rich Foss, his wife Bonnie McFarlane.
2: They they have a podcast together. Uh, and I, I think it's called My Wife Hates Me or something.
3: Oh, that is funny. It's a real it's a really funny funny movie. I think, and it you know she she actually went in drag as a dude and went on stage.
2: Oh that's funny,
3: yeah, it was a, fu- a very funny idea. I like when they put the you know they do go out of their way to do the funny things like that.
2: Um, how about I am improv comic? How about that because there's a okay. lot, there's a lot of stand ups that do improv
3: um, doesn't it doesn't work or I'm not the guy to capture. I've captured what I thought was lightning in a bottle uh David Keckner, I don't know if sure. you know him I, okay love Dave Koechner, absolutely. Sure. pat Pat Finn uh, they have a group there's five of these guys called Beer Shark Mice. Yeah. They may have retired it. It was like a 30 year group or 20. They've been doing it forever. And they're the best. They start with literally someone breathes in the audience and they'll do a long form show that has you laughing your ass off. Yeah. I interviewed them. I filmed them. Other people have filmed them. And when you put it together, couldn't it's just catch, like. Couldn't capture it. Yeah. It's like, well, you had to be there. Do you do you still produce comedy shows?
2: I haven't really produced a show show in a long time just because uh, it would be difficult now. I don't. You know, I don't know who the young comics are anymore.
3: Yeah, but if you build it, they will come. That's true. And that, I mean, that I had the, uh, you know, I would ask so and so, hey, could you put in a word? Could you tell? Like, Pete Holmes definitely helped me get uh, an interview with TJ Miller.
2: Oh, okay.
3: Like, hey, Pete, could you? And I didn't, I met Pete through Wayne years ago at a club and then went up to him. I approached him and then I approached TJ Miller at a sex shop in LA.
2: <laughs> well you do that a lot with
3: people. Yeah. <laughs> I do. That's how you got my underwear. Exactly. <laughs> uh <clears throat> no, they do a they do a comedy show in the uh at the at the pleasure chest. Oh, okay. So it's kind of kind of funny. And TJ hosted and uh so I went up to him there and he goes, Oh yeah, I said, Ask Pete. Oh, okay, cool. So I think if you if you mounted a show, you just have to get the first one under your belt and then people will see it and you know, you'll attract good talent to start with and then you're gonna you're gonna start having comedians call you.
2: That's true. Although this is not going to be really. I mean, I want to have comics on the show, but I want to have like musicians and stuff like that from the Bay Area. So it'll be interesting to see if I can Let me, pull it off.
3: We'll see. But it, you know, it's it's interesting. Some people try to put comedy in venues and they succeed, and other people, you could have the same exact comedian, and it just won't work. And what do you think? What do you think that's about? I I think it's about. Uh, the the like the San Francisco punchline, mm-hmm. long running successful club, correct? Sure. Well, don't they? The audience has come to respect the club as a place that's going to present them with good comedians. Like to me, it seems like a club where you still want to you still want to know the comic you're going to see in. But if you didn't know the comedian. You could still go there and you'd still take a risk and go there.
2: Yeah, I mean, even, you know, the Comedy Underground in Seattle, even back in the early 80s, I literally would, you know, when we had lines down the block on the weekends, I I would have people come down those stairs and they would get up to the front desk at, to pay and they go, who are we seeing tonight? I oh, mean, the they,
3: Comedy Underground, that that had, that was like uh, Oz. Yeah, it was you know, a lot like, of ways, yeah. People wanted to go there, you wanted to be booked there and that you know that club was a stamp of approval i my one of one of my few regrets in comedy is not doing that competition
2: oh okay yeah, yeah. which
3: someone's, a, a young kids doing a, uh, a will will tatter tatter or chitter <laughs> is it is it chitter chitter okay chitter there's a, the, i was chittering with a kid who's doing a kickstarter i think i you know i'm i'm in for 10 bucks i'm a sucker for a, a comedy documentary <laughs> yeah. by by a young com- uh, comedian filmmaker person and he's, he's trying to document, or he is documenting, the Seattle comedy competition.
2: Oh, okay. That's cool. I mean, you know, Ross Ross Schaefer got, you know, he he got into the competition his first year of comedy in Seattle, and he won.
3: May, I remember that.
2: Yeah. So it's, uh, I mean, it, it, and yet there's people that have done, like, the San Francisco competition, and they'll come in in, like, the bottom ten, and they're some of the best comics you've ever seen in your life. And there's something about that competition element That just is not their thing.
3: Yeah, it's. I I find it even hard to watch Last Comic Standing for that reason. Yeah, yeah. that that it's like, is it is it really a competition? I mean, I know it's a show, but I, I just like I like all kinds of comedy, and if it's not getting, you know, a gajillion laughs per per minute, that's okay. You know, it's like if. There was a thing in in I'm Comic where this guy came up with the Comedy Evaluator Pro, right? <laughs> where which was software. Steve Roy, nice guy, yeah. Uh, Roy's brother, uh, Steve Roy. So he invents this software, and he and you he taps the space bar. Basically, he's making a calculator, where he, you, you know, <laughs> for laughs. Yeah. And, and if you get a lot, so many laughs per minute, you're a headliner. And I just thought, well if you listen to a bill cosby bit or i saw bill cosby on letterman not too long ago there's not a there's not a laugh every 10 seconds no
2: no he's got the leisure to kind of sit back and tell the story and build the you know
3: build to the oh. laugh right yeah the audience is fermenting on every word and then his payoff is like you you just think he was so funny like oh i laughed my ass off well not really if you look at the tape yeah, it's but,
2: a, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a confidence and showmanship element that, you know, a lot of newer comics they're just told you just got to keep, you know, rapid-firing jokes so that people don't get a chance to even think or rest. Just keep, you know, pummeling them.
3: You know that the the trip that I did in the in the documentary, that was the one thing I had going for me was uh showmanship. Even though I have a huge fat belly and and just, you know, out of breath, just climbing to the stage. But Mark, if you can if you can be comfortable on stage, like that's to me, that's half the battle. Oh, absolutely. Half the battle. And and I wish I had material. I even thought about one point, oh, I'll buy some jokes or I'll have someone help me write some jokes. It's like, nah. So you had asked a question earlier, how why am I so in the film so infrequently? I hired a crew in Kennewick, Washington. Like video event guy. Okay, I interview him over the phone. I looked at his website. A lot of outdoorsy wilderness stuff. You know, I think he'd shot a lot of uh, dead animals or <laughs> animals that were alive, and then we see them become dead uh, for for nature, you know, products. Yeah. Guy comes <laughs> to the club, and I give him all these specs because I'm a director. I know the tech talk. And when I get home, and he ships me the footage it's It's uh, TV. it's it's four by three aspect ratio, like grandpa's TV.
2: So it doesn't even match what you're trying to put together. Yeah, yeah, it
3: doesn't even match, and we tried stretching it in the center. I was like, you know what, forget it, it's a documentary so So when we're on stage during the show, you'll notice I mean most people don't I, no one said anything, but me, you know the editor and I were like, "That's weird, yeah <laughs> <clears throat> And then the times I tried to hand the camera to Wayne or I had tried to hand the camera to Seth. It just, you know, it's all shaky. It's crazy. And, in fact, Wayne filmed me trying to sell T-shirts. Don Barnhart said, oh, they love T-shirts. So I go, oh. And I interviewed these comedians. They're like, you're going to make so much money on T-shirts. People love T-shirts. So I try to sell them after the show. And, you know, I took three dozen up there, and I ended up just giving them away. (laughs) Like, you can have – Five for five dollars. Just, I mean, I, I literally lost $300 in t shirts. Oh
2: my God. What was the, there's a, there's a, a piece in the movie where um, you're trying to rent a keyboard and the guy who rents it, oh. rents the keyboards, finds out what the club is and refuses to rent you the, the equipment. What was, cause it's not quite explained, at least maybe I missed it, why he won't do it.
3: Well, it uh, so in, in downtown Kennewick, Washington, which is a little like two and a half, three blocks of merchants, you can see that the city put some, you know, they put some art in the last 10 years and they spruced it up and they try to have a resurgence. And every every town in America has tried to do that, right? Revitalize downtown. Sure. And it's usually near a river, you know? Yeah. I remember in Pittsburgh like 20 years ago, oh, you're going to love down by the river. They fixed it all up. Yeah. Never really works. Um <laughs> So uh, in the beginning of the movie, you hear Wayne Fetterman say, he left a voicemail for me saying, hey, hey if you could get me a keyboard, right. I've been playing piano in my act, and, and that's part of my shtick. So part of convincing him to go on the road with me to do the movie and to have fun for a weekend was, you know, because he, he doesn't really play a lot of bars like that anymore. Right, right. He would do a week at the improv or something. So I said, yeah, I'll take care of getting you a keyboard. And, you know, I have these producer friends in my commercials. I'm like, hey, can somebody find me a keyboard? So we tracked a guy down, Alan Willis, so nice, of uh, Tri-City Music. And he's he's seven, I don't know, ten storefronts down from the club, Jack Diddle's. Perfect, right? Right. But because of the nightlife that happens in the tattoo parlors and the bars and the you know, the, the trouble that they've had with drunken young people on that strip on the weekends, he said no. And because, you know, there, there was a guy you'll see in the movie, I mean, you saw in the movie, a guy got kicked out of the club and ended up going to the hospital. Right, right. So they're kind of rough at Jack Diddley's. And, uh, or they were. They've calmed it down. They're nice people. So Alan Willis of Tri-City Music said, uh, yeah, I, have, I got a keyboard. I'll rent you. And it was, you know, a couple hundred bucks for the weekend. And he goes, by the way, where is it going? And I said, oh, just literally down the street. You're on the same block. You're at 1700 This is at 1600 This is going to be perfect. And he, there was silence. And he goes, I'm afraid I can't do that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. He has since moved his store to uh, another part of town.
2: <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, listen, let's, uh, why don't you tell uh, folks the, the best way they can get uh, a copy of the movie. I downloaded it. I paid my five dollars. I got it. Oh
3: my gosh! Bless you.
2: Absolutely. Well, you. Bless know, you. Gotta support the gotta support the uh, small filmmaker, right?
3: Yeah. Oh, you know what? I, I this was a choice, I, uh, listeners. You're supporting independent film. You're supporting comedy. The biggest expense I have was like you know legal. I don't want to get sued. You know, and, and it's it's well mixed, by the way. I knocked it at the beginning of the show, Mark. That it it doesn't look as pretty as my other stuff. But uh, it sounds really good. It does. Yeah. It was professionally mixed. Uh, $5 for a limited time only, just like the McRib. <laughs> you can download it at imroadcomic.com. Couldn't be easier. I Am Road Comic is the name of the movie. amroadcomic.com is the website. $5 download. You can download it and keep it. You can, you can stream it. These are not refurbished downloads. They're brand new downloads.
2: (laughs) I watched it off my iPad and streamed it to my TV. How about that?
3: No, for real? Because I I did hear like three people complain that slower, older iPads had a problem.
2: I I have an iPad mini and it worked fine.
3: Oh, fabulous. Yeah. And then from that to the TV. Yeah,
2: absolutely.
3: Oh, you're living in the future.
2: Oh, yeah, man. And hey, by the way, this is no McRib, this movie of yours. This is a full-on shamrock
3: shake. (laughs) I wonder where you're going. this is shamrock shake. Nice. Well played, sir. <laughs> now, well, I, am, I imagine it will end up – I'm talking to the people that will get it on the regular channels, but I, I just didn't want to wait. You know, love the Louis C.K. Yes. A joggernaut, both comedically and as an entrepreneur with his uh, $5 download special a few years ago. Yeah. But, but damn, couldn't he have done it for 7 <laughs> <laughs> because you know i was like well, it's a movie it's a documentary it took years there's lots of people lots of editing you don't have to edit a comedy special. seven i want seven bucks even the the web people that are helping me you know go you know if you make it seven you actually sell more you make more and you sell more that's right and i was like you know i think my comedy nerd brethren expect to pay five dollars
2: <laughs> that's yes the the price has been set because i mean uh Gaffigan sells his for five dollars, and all these other guys starting to do their own. They're all five dollars. That's that's the price, going yeah. price. So uh, that's what it is. Well, you know what would help is if uh, you can get a good review on like Huffington Post.
3: Oh my uh, God, I would. Uh, I I don't know. I don't know who's taint I have to tickle to do that. I would. I would. I would love that.
2: Well, let and me I, let me see if I can talk to somebody here at uh, Succotash Studios and see if we can't get that done.
3: Put in a word. You know they. Uh, one of the, the no bullshit. One of the biggest uh feathers that i wear in my cap and i don't mean figuratively i'm actually wearing (laughs) a feathered cap a a feathered cap right now in my underwear uh when the huffington post listed the documentaries comedy documentaries like it's its own genre now mark wow comedy documentary i think it started with the aristocrats oh
2: there you go okay right high bar yeah
3: And then there was uh, When Stand-Up Stood Out on the Boston scene, if you saw that one. Yeah, Um,
2: I'm involved in a comedy documentary that's uh, being finished right now in San Francisco.
3: Tell me, tell me, what is that?
2: Uh, It's called Three Still Standing, and it's about comedy in the early 80s through present day, and it follows the the journey uh, of uh, Will Durst, Johnny Steele, and Larry Bubbles
3: Brown. Oh, my goodness. And, um, what a great, that's the Three Amigos right yeah, there. Yeah,
2: it's, it's a pretty fun project. I, I, I'm in it a little bit. Uh, oh, I, good. I, I was on a road trip um, driving Dana Carvey and Larry Brown to a couple of gigs in Northern California and Southern Oregon.
3: For, the, for this movie?
2: Uh, we I mean, just, during, we, during the filming, or yeah, it, this yeah, was, was no, archival ca- stuff? No, no, we captured it for the movie. We had uh, two GoPro cameras in the car, and I was doing the tech for that and uh, driving.
3: Well, that's amazing. Um, so that, that, that sounds very interesting. Yeah, Larry so, Bubbles Brown, when, you know, I moved to San Francisco in uh, 84, 85 for a brief period of time. Did, yeah. I, did we talk about that? Yeah, yeah, we did. War, Warren Thomas was my yeah. roommate and yeah. John Ross and those guys. At, at and, Janine,
2: Janine Hanson's apartment.
3: At, at Janine Hanson's place. And she
2: still lives in the same place.
3: <clears throat> no way.
2: Yes. Yes, she
3: does. But then now that's the twenty fourth emission. That's like yep. a trendy hipster area yeah, now. It, yeah. Oh.
2: Still lives there.
3: Lovely woman. Um, and and uh, Larry Bubbles Brown was, I mean, he and Will Durst were. The, I didn't know Mister Steele as well, but Will Durst and Larry Bubbles Brown. I mean, they were the they were the kings of the castle. Uh, and and Warren and uh, uh, who was the other guy? Pritchard. Michael Pritchard.
2: Mike Pritchard. Yeah, he's still around. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so they just the filmmakers—they uh, live in San Francisco. They were huge fans of comedy. They they normally um, make their money shooting um, documentaries for Shark Week. Uh, been doing that for years.
3: Makes perfect sense,
2: doesn't it? It, tra- it travels over perfectly. <laughs> now, Will Will Durst
3: does the road, doesn't
2: he? Uh, yeah, he travels quite a bit. Um, he's probably got more fame than any of those three guys, um, right? but uh and Larry doesn't travel at all. He just stays in the bay area. Uh Johnny travels a little bit. Um but most of these I mean the the reason they picked these three guys is they still have, you know, careers that are mostly made here in San Francisco and uh like Larry says, you know, his mistake was not moving to LA when he had the opportunity.
3: And how does he feel about that? Is he okay with that? He's happy, right? It's
2: over, buddy. <laughs> that's that's Larry. It's over, buddy. So what he always says, but, uh, I'm actually tapping him to be my announcer for my live talk show. So that's
3: with be. that same voice. That of course. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious.
2: Oh yeah.
3: Well, Hey man, I, I appreciate you having me on. This is, uh, has been a lot of fun. I'm, I'm just, I feel so blessed. I know that people use that too much, especially when they, when they chatter, chitter, I, chitter, uh, chatter. I,
2: I am an ordained minister, however, through the uh, <laughs> universal life church. So I literally can bless you.
3: You are, you really are. You're not I, kidding.
2: I am. Yeah.
3: Well then, please bless me because I feel, or maybe you already have, and I, I didn't know I, it. But I did
2: the last time. Yeah,
3: it, I I feel so blessed to be able to just go out and that the these comedians, you know, TJ Miller. I just saw him yesterday in Transformers, and you know, he's he supports the film. He throw out a tweet, you know, that's correct. He gives me his time with his interview. Like if anything else you need, call me up. Like I feel so blessed in these guys that are of a new generation to be able to talk to them. And really, I mean, everything's kind of the same. There's YouTube, and you have to tweet, yeah. and you can, you can book your own shows now. But really, if you don't have the act, uh, I mean, next time we talk, let's go more into, is it uh, the singer or the song?
2: Yeah. Yeah, let's you do know? that. That'd be great. Cool. That'd be great. Okay.
3: Mark, thank you so much.
2: Uh, thank you, Jordan. This has been terrific, and uh, we will talk to you soon.
3: Talk to you later. All right, man, take care.
7: Bye. The road is like your wife and that like doing spots in the city are like your mistresses. And yeah, they're fun and you get good stuff out of them, but the road's always gonna be there waiting for you and will love you unconditionally.
6: (sighs) Worst thing about the road would have to be, can't think of anything.
11: It's like lovemaking. The crowd makes noises, involuntary noises, pleasure noises, response, that I then change my performance based on, oh, they seem to like that, they seem to not like that. This crowd seems to want me to be big and in their face. This crowd seems to make, maybe I'll play it a little more subtle or whatever. It's sex. It's sex. And hopefully at the end, what does sex make you feel? Love, connection, your fear is gone, your empathy's up. So should it be with a good comedy show. I know, what is this, fucking Sermon on the Mount? Fuck me up the ass. I agree. This is some bullshit. But if you want to know what I think sometimes, it's stuff like that.
2: Thanks so much to Jordan for talking with us. He mentioned everywhere you can find the movie right now and more information, as well as his own podcast, Respect the Process, which also happens to be available on iTunes. Why not go to jordanbrady.com if you have any questions. I will also have a link in my blog entry for this episode uh, to Jordan's home site and our home site, succotashshow.com. We tap dance out of here with a closing word from Will Durst about celebrating the 4th of July.
6: Hey guys, Will Durst here, wishing you all a terrific 4th of July, the most American of our holidays. A day where we celebrate the birth of the greatest nation on the face of the planet. A major reason why we have all those darn problems with our borders. After all, you don't see a lot of stories about the teeming humanity streaming across the border into Kazakhstan. Or Kyrgyzstan, which many experts claim are two entirely different places. The fourth is also the loudest of all the holidays, and typically we refuse to be shy about it. Let's drink a lot of beer and handle explosives. Leading to a bunch of brand new nicknames like Lefty and Patch. Even in San Francisco, my lovely wife Debbie Ann and I try to do the red, white, and blue things so patriotically that Ghost of Patrick Henry slaps us imaginary high fives. Although, like everything else, the city by the bay manages to throw its own unique slant on Independence Day, since our fireworks are usually shrouded in fog. So instead of ooh and ah, it's more like, huh? What? Was that anything? And, of course, the hardest part of barbecuing is keeping the tofu and bean sprouts from slipping through the grates. But the fourth means dead solid summer, folks, so get your vacation licks in. It's time for family, friends, food, and fireworks. Go snore in a hammock, fly some flags from the handlebars of your bike, and blow some stuff up real good. Because all too soon we'll be stuffing the flip-flops back into the closet while hauling out the school supplies and pumpkin carving kits. Happy birthday, America. I gotta tell you, in the right light, you don't look a day over 189. For Succotash, the comedy podcast podcast, I'm Will Durst. Thank you, Will Durst. He
2: can be caught tweeting at Will Durst on Twitter. You can like him on Facebook. You can visit his home site, willdurst.com. Okay, of all the episodes that we have ever done, this is the 90th of them. Thanks for listening, or just letting us play absently in the background while you get something more important done. Until next time, and especially if you have podcast-hungry friends, please remember to pass the
0: succotash. You've been listening to Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast with your host, Mark Hershon Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuckatashShow.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher Smart Radio, and on SoundCloud. You can also hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Show. Email us at rc at SuckatashShow.com or call into the Succotash hotline at our non-toll-free call number 818-921-7212 that number again is 818-921-7212 Suckatash is produced and engineered with the kind assistance of Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito home of the hit our associate producer is Tyson Sainer. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Until next time, I am your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the succotash. Goodbye.
3: Travel with
9: Jackie now. Yeah, I travel right. with my friend Jackie Cation and she uh, is a delight and lots of fun. And then we have good times and, uh, and then it's fun to meet the comics in the uh, local place. That's, that's great. Uh, oh, so you hang with the local group? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.
4: That's the thing about stand-up comics is, you know, most of us get along with each other. If I don't know the comics, no. My comic camaraderie died in fucking 1995
9: people coming out of different cities as a big comedy scene, now everywhere, and so people are very good. I think, and they've watched so much stand-up on TV that people are like immediately very kind of polished in a way, uh, which I don't think I was.
11: We're about to breed a generation of super comedians because I was only able to ingest, you know, this much comedy, as much as I could. And before that, people could only get well, a cable. few records. Like yeah, from yeah, cable, cable was a big deal, that we were getting so much. I could see Saturday Night Live and Kids in the Hall every day, and the generation before that couldn't. And now you're gonna get somebody who literally can spend six or seven hours a day just ingesting comedy. And so yeah, they'll just be more shitty. It's always the same ratio and percentage
10: of good to bad. It's just how big is the
0: puzzle.